Welcome to the Conscious Mental Health Podcast for mental health professionals who are always learning. The Conscious Mental Health Podcast is a series of diverse educational resources for mental health professionals sponsored by the Academy of Integrative Mental Health. The Academy expands knowledge to professionals in the mental health community and beyond using a conscious, experiential, and evidence-based format. Our mission is to deliver comprehensive health and wellness to all by empowering personal and professional growth and confidence. We believe continuing education is an essential aspect of mental health care that is ever evolving and changing, just like the communities we serve. The CMH podcast is part of our efforts to increase access to modern experiential knowledge across all stages of a clinician's career. We share engaging conversations with skilled therapists, multidisciplinary experts, and advocates committed to thinking outside the box using an integrative approach. Our episodes are similar to our training style in that you receive research-informed content and guided practices, news updates, and other segments to support you in your personal and clinical practice. This podcast is intended to provide information as a resource and is not a substitute for mental health treatment, medical advice, or professional training. And the statements and views shared by the guest are their own. Welcome back to the Conscious Mental Health Podcast. I'm Juniper Owens, LCSW, Director of the Academy of Integrative Mental Health, and your host for today's episode, Latest in Mental Health, where we discuss current trends, headlines, research, and important topics in mental health with emphasis on the biopsychosocial spiritual perspective, exploring everywhere from the depths of consciousness to the structures of global society. And let's get right into it. Our first story is all about the recent viral Elmo tweet and the concept of trauma dumping. He looks sad. But a friend is giving him a flower. That's so kind. In a heartwarming display of connection, the beloved red Muppet Elmo from Sesame Street took to social media platform X, formerly Twitter, with a simple question. Elmo's just checking in. How's everybody doing? This simple tweet would unleash a tidal wave of emotional responses from millions of users. Elmo's tweet quickly gained immense traction, amassing a staggering 208.3 million views and garnering 19,000 comments. Some of the replies poured out with raw honesty, revealing the depths of human complexity and suffering. One user expressed, Honestly, Elmo, I need a hug, encapsulating the longing for comfort that many people share in these challenging times. Another tweeted, Elmo, I'm suffering from existential dread over here. Another, I really, really try to be happy and strong at work, but sometimes it's just too much, Elmo. I'm struggling. Elmo, I'm going to be real with you. I don't think I can keep living like this. I feel like Oscar the Grouch in a world of Elmos. Broken heart emoji. Disappointed in the people around me. It's so depressing. I just want to sleep all the time. Sorry, Elmo. 
sad emoji. The world is burning. Genocides are happening. Women's rights are being taken away. Surviving is insufferable, Elmo. How do you think we're doing? Another simply replied, Elmo, we are tired. Even businesses and actors weighed in. The Children's Hospital Association tweeted, Hi, Elmo. Thank you for checking in and teaching children and us grown-ups how to deal with big feelings like happy and sad. Having big feelings is a part of life and knowing how to talk about and process those feelings is so, so important for our health and well-being. Actor Rain Wilson shared, I'm kind of at a crossroads and frankly could use a little support. An acclaimed singer, rapper, and producer T-Pain chimed in with an honest message stating, I'm just looking for someone to talk to and show me some love, if you know what I mean. Really underscoring the universal need for human connection and empathy. In the response to this outpouring of feelings and interest spurred by the tweet, Elmo took it upon himself to share a follow-up post, emphasizing the importance of checking in on friends and loved ones. He wrote, Wow, Elmo is glad he asked. Elmo learned that it is important to ask a friend how they are doing. Elmo will check again soon, friends. Elmo loves you. Reaffirming the power of kindness and support in the digital age. Among the multitude of responses to Elmo's tweet over the past several days, even President Joe Biden took notice and offered his insights. He acknowledged the daily struggles many individuals face, writing, I know how hard it is some days to sweep the clouds away and get to sunnier days. The president added, our friend Elmo is right. We have to be there for each other, offer our help to a neighbor in need, and above all else, ask for help when we need it. Even though it's hard, you're never alone. However, not all responses were solely supportive, as some labeled the reactions to the tweet as trauma dumping. One ex-user said, We started this year, started it, by trauma dumping so hard on Elmo, the official Sesame Street account had to tweet out mental health resources. God help us. The discussion raised important questions about the balance between expressing genuine emotions and being considerate of others' capacity to listen, highlighting the complexities of sharing feelings on social media platforms. In essence, Elmo's heartfelt questions sparked a profound online dialogue, prompting individuals to reflect on the significance of authentic human connection and the delicate line between sharing genuine experiences and being mindful of the emotional well-being of others. What are the lines between trauma dumping and being honest about one's real lived experience, even when it's not all sunshine and rainbows. In today's digital age, the boundaries between personal and public have blurred significantly, particularly when it comes to sharing our innermost thoughts and emotions. While social media provides a platform for self-expression, it also raises critical ethical questions regarding the sharing of trauma and distressing experiences. So what is trauma dumping? Trauma dumping, although not an established clinical term, is a phrase commonly used to describe the act of sharing one's traumatic experiences or emotions with others, 
often without their consent or consideration for the potential impact. This behavior can be emotionally overwhelming and potentially harmful to both the person sharing and the recipient. While the term itself may not be a scholarly one, the concept of sharing traumatic experiences on social media platforms or randomly with a bank teller, for example, is not uncommon in discussions related to mental health and interpersonal communication. In therapeutic settings, it is encouraged for clients to share their traumas in safe, supportive environments guided by professionals who can help them process and heal. Sharing trauma is a little different than saying that you're not doing well or that you're feeling sad. This points to the overuse of the term trauma on social media, and in turn, it's misuse or misunderstanding. Sharing trauma and sharing that you're having a bad day are two different forms of communication. Hey, Lucy, Jackie, how you doing? You this is Isaac. Isaac <laughs> okay. Okay. Did you see that? That was a flinch because oh. I was abused as a child. Okay. Um, so anyway, how are you doing today? Yeah, I've been good, just busy with work and stuff. My nan died yesterday, so it's quite brave that I'm here, actually. Sharing trauma involves discussing deeply distressing and often life-altering experiences with severe emotional and psychological consequences, requiring empathetic support and often professional intervention. In contrast, Sharing that you're having a bad day typically refers to discussing temporary and milder negative emotions or setbacks in daily life with a lesser impact on functioning and usually manageable through comfort, listening, or simple solutions. The key differences lie in the nature, intensity, impact, response, and potential long-term consequences of the experiences being shared. For example, Trauma dumping could be sharing explicit details of a recent abusive relationship, discussing every painful moment and emotional turmoil in a public online forum, or it could look like posting detailed graphic descriptions of a recent car accident, including images on social media, sharing all the emotional and physical pain experienced during the incident. An example of sharing without divulging trauma could be posting a tweet saying, feeling so overwhelmed today, need some words of encouragement. If you were in a car accident, for example, just sharing, I was in a car accident recently and I need some help. Or sharing an Instagram story with a sad emoji caption and a photo of a rainy day when you're feeling down. Or texting a friend to say, hey, can we talk? I had a tough day at work and could use some support. One of the challenges lie in distinguishing between venting, being authentic, and trauma dumping. The Cleveland Clinic suggests several questions to consider when sharing difficult experiences. Did the other person have an opportunity to share their feelings? Is the person comfortable sharing their traumas with me? Is this an appropriate time to share these difficult feelings? Did I ask the other person if they felt overwhelmed by what I was sharing? Are there certain topics better discussed with a therapist? Experts advise that if someone inquires about your well-being, you can ask if they have the space and capacity to listen to your concerns. So if someone says, how are you doing? And you're really not doing well, instead of 
just simply saying, fine, thanks. You could say, hey, are you in the space to hear actually how I'm doing? Because I could share. And then they have permission to tell you, no, I was just saying that because it's you know, what everybody says, or I was just trying to be nice, but actually, no, I don't want to hear it, or I don't have the space. In cases where they don't ask directly, consider asking if they have time to hear about the issue you're facing. Finding a balance between authenticity and responsibility is a key to fostering meaningful online and in-person reactions. On the internet, conversations often resemble one-way communication structures, potentially leading to the phenomenon we've been discussing, trauma dumping. Recently, this issue has gained attention on platforms like TikTok, where users freely share traumatic experiences on video and in comments. While this can serve as a cathartic release for some, experts caution that it can have detrimental effects on both the dumper and the dumpy. Also, exposure to traumatic content online can contribute to secondary trauma, as individuals repeatedly hear or view details of traumatic events experienced by others. Research has identified this as secondary traumatic stress, or STS, and acknowledges the potential for indirect exposure to trauma through media sources to lead to symptoms akin to post-traumatic stress disorder. So navigating the line between healthy sharing of emotions and trauma dumping is vital for maintaining positive and supportive relationships, whether online or offline. Key considerations include trust and consent. Ensure mutual trust and consent when discussing sensitive topics. Timing and context. Choose appropriate moments to share your emotions. Reciprocity. Maintain a balanced exchange of emotions and support in relationships. Boundaries. Respect personal boundaries and communicate your own clearly. Self-awareness. Understand your own emotional needs and intentions. When sharing personal trauma stories, be aware of the impact of your own emotional health. Sharing can be cathartic, but it can also possibly re-traumatize you or negatively affect your mental health. Gradual disclosure. Share traumatic experiences gradually and considerately. A big one, seek professional help for severe trauma or mental health issues. Consult a mental health professional or another healing professional of your choice. Call a hotline like 988 or a warm line with peer support. Supportive listening. Practice active and empathetic listening when others share their emotions. Checking in, follow up with those who share their emotions to show care and support, or follow up if you were the person sharing about the other's emotional experience. I like to do check-ins like, how was that for you when I shared that? Or maybe even the next day, whoo, last night got a little bit heavy. How are you doing over there? You know, something like that. And I've had friends do that with me, and I really appreciate that. Lastly, respect limits. Honor others' comfort levels and avoid pushing them. Uh, We also highly recommend using content warnings when posting potentially distressing content online. This allows people to make an informed choice about whether to engage with the content, especially if they have a history of trauma or emotional sensitivity. Expressing yourself and sharing your life experiences on social media can provide a platform for raising awareness, 
finding support, and fostering community. However, it must be done with careful consideration of potential impacts and sensitivity toward those who may be affected by the content. Finding the right balance ensures that these online spaces remain supportive and safe environments for all. In the wake of Elmo's viral tweet, which sparked an overwhelming response from individuals seeking connection and a platform to share their emotional burdens, the question remains, why are Americans experiencing so much anxiety, depression, dread, and exhaustion, and sharing it on social media platforms? Genuine question. Is anyone doing well? Mentally, physically, socially, financially. And I guess I'm specifically talking about doing well living in the United States. Like, is anybody at ease? Seems like everyone, literally everyone, is lonely. Seems like the majority of us are in survival mode 24-7. Seems like most of us are on the verge of financial devastation. Like, seriously, is anybody moving through life and shit is just going well for you consistently? Mental health experts, economists, and sociologists have been attempting to answer this question for decades. And for some, the answer is loneliness. Even the U.S. Surgeon General has warned about what has been coined as America's loneliness epidemic. Approximately one in three U.S. adults report feeling lonely at least once a week, with an even more troubling statistic revealing that one in 10 Americans grapples with daily loneliness. The phenomenon is particularly pronounced among younger individuals, with about 30% of respondents aged 18 to 34, reporting daily or weekly experiences of loneliness. Do you ever get lonely? Yeah, I think everyone gets lonely. Uh, That's almost like a daily struggle. I often feel very lonely in the city. What does it feel like? It feels like being lost, like in a maze. With no hand reaching out to you and you just don't really feel like climbing back out or you just can't climb back out. It feels like that feeling of like you're about to cry, but you just don't need to. I live in a studio apartment, so oftentimes it's sort of trying to be comfortable with myself. I think loneliness for me is not feeling understood. And I definitely don't feel understood if I can't understand myself. There always feels like this greater looming thing in me that brings on sadness. Loneliness is not just an emotional struggle. It has been linked to various health risks. Research shows that loneliness and isolation are associated with a greater risk of heart disease, dementia, stroke, depression, anxiety, and premature death. In fact, lacking connection can increase the risk of premature death to levels comparable to smoking daily. As the loneliness epidemic continues to draw attention, it becomes evident that the need to connect be seen and share experiences of heartache, stress, grief, and suffering remains a pressing issue. The Campaign to End Loneliness defines loneliness as a subjective feeling of lack or loss of companionship resulting from a mismatch between desired and actual social relationships. The three types of loneliness, emotional, social, and existential, are described highlighting the multifaceted nature of this issue. The CDC reported by the Surgeon General, suggest Social connection is as fundamental to our mental and physical health as food, water, and sleep. And it affects our performance and productivity at work, school, and in our communities. Now is the time to invest in building social connection. This first ever Surgeon General's advisory on our epidemic of loneliness and isolation shows us how. 
The keys to connection are simple. Answer a phone call from a friend. Invite someone over to share a meal. Listen and be present during conversation. Seek out opportunities to serve others. These steps may seem small, but they're extraordinarily powerful. Yet something is glaringly missing from the report and suggestions offered by the CDC. No explanations are given about the possible causes of the loneliness epidemic. There are no discussions around the environmental factors and cultural or systemic structures that might play a role in how lonely people are and the incredibly high number of individuals who experience a mental health diagnosis. In 2020, 20.78% of adults were experiencing a mental illness. That is equivalent to over 50 million Americans. Over 1 in 10 youth in the U.S. are experiencing depression that is severely impairing their ability to function at school or work, at home, with family, or in their social life. And almost a third, which is 28.2% of all adults with a mental illness, reported that they were not able to receive the treatment they needed. 42% of adults with AMI reported that they were unable to receive necessary care because they couldn't afford it. Over the past decade, some have questioned whether these changes result from neoliberal capitalist policies and ideologies. Sociologist David Matthews asserts that the profound connection between mental health and social conditions has often been obscured and overshadowed by a biomedical perspective laden with scientific jargon. It is imperative to acknowledge that the social, political, and economic fabric of society plays a pivotal role in shaping individuals' mental well-being. He says that certain social structures prove more conducive to fostering mental health than others. Capitalism, serving as the foundational framework upon which society's superstructure is constructed, emerges as a significant factor contributing to the deterioration of mental health, he says. Some of the possible factors that could affect mental health associated with neoliberal capitalism are income equality, lack of social safety nets and social support, working conditions and work-life balance, reduced access to health care, and consumerism with a focus on external validation. Yet other scholars discuss the impacts of technology, in particular social media and mental health. A 2024 paper published in Frontiers in Psychiatry addresses the adverse impacts of digital technology, including social media, gaming, and smartphones on physical, mental, and social health, indicating a connection with poorer psychological well-being. People take to TikTok to weigh in on loneliness and mental health. Some users discuss the culture of the U.S. as being designed for loneliness compared with other cultures they experience when traveling or from their country of origin. One of the biggest culture shocks that I had to deal with when I came to the U.S. was how lonely you guys, American, are. Like, if I talked to one person yesterday, that was a lot. And now I talk to myself all day. And I got used to it because I've been living here for like eight years. But... In Colombia, it isn't like that. You guys live so lonely lives and you guys are like all in your own bubble, like in your head or in your house all the time. In Colombia, it is not like that. Like I do not understand how in Colombia we live, we engage with other people all the time. 
and it might seem exhausting for you if you are used to being alone and stuff but you just get used to it and actually being around other people helps you so much with your mental health and that's why i think in colombia the mental health is like better than here in america After traveling, you realize that America is designed to keep you socially isolated and lonely. One thing in America that's generally accepted is that people think your life is going to be so lonely after you turn 18 or become an adult or finish college. Oh, you're not going to have time for friends. You're never going to see them. You're just going to go work, go home, eat, sleep, and do it all over again. But in Mexico and other Latin American countries, you realize that communities and families and people are closer together because the cities are walkable they prioritize face-to-face -face time and they value relationships meeting people and they're so friendly others discuss the blatant focus on individual responsibility for the loneliness epidemic as outlined by the surgeon general's report this being the advisory from a Surgeon General and this falsified idea of caring about the individual by making it the individual's responsibility to take care of the individual is fucking disgusting. We are alienated from each other. We are further incentivized to be in competition with each other. We are further incentivized to spend more time at work than we are leisurely. Capitalism has impacted our nervous system, the way we relate to each other. Um, our mental health on so many levels, we don't really talk about that enough. One big part of capitalism is the concept of the self, right? Capitalism drives competition. So when we are capitalistic in our environment, our nervous system starts to reflect that, our beliefs, our values as well. So one of the big things that we see with capitalism is the hyper-individualism part, right? Because we're not taught to see each other as like the collective. We are, we see each other as more as like, threat and competition to each other. I want to pull in the characteristics of, of supremacy. With that, we're going to see also the need to blame others for the reasons why their well-being is the way it is. We blame others for not practicing enough self-care, but reality, it's not about the self-care you're practicing. It's literally the systems in place that are killing us. It has nothing to do with the amount of self-care. We know that shit doesn't work. That is a tactic of supremacist culture. It is going to blame the personal individual as it is a moral failing, and it is not. You are lonely, not because you just decided to not like people you don't want to be around. You're lonely because your nervous system has probably been taught and is oriented to see each other as threat. Just the idea of community alone can be triggering for some people because it doesn't feel safe all the time. In conclusion, research and discussions on the loneliness epidemic underscore the intricate interplay between individual factors like biological, trauma history, and family background, and environmental factors, culture, systemic structures, and social media, etc., and the growing need for people to be seen and heard in their struggles. A recent peer-reviewed study also suggests that the increasing individualism in Western societies may contribute to the mental well-being challenges young people face in these contexts, emphasizing the importance of addressing both individual and environmental aspects of mental health and well-being.
while communication with others across the globe is accessible and frequent, the need for connection and attachment with others has not changed from the time of smoke signals to the Pony Express. And now, real-time thoughts from people worldwide and breaking news are all in the palm of your hand. No matter how you connect with others, being seen and heard are essential aspects of human life, especially when the going gets rough. The world is heavy sometimes, and as helping professionals, we are not only living in the world, but also supporting others in their most difficult times. Humor is a wonderful coping skill, and life can get really bizarre, so we're going to end this news update with a fun game we are calling the Fact or Fiction Challenge. We will share a headline or statement, and you can guess whether it's true, false, real, or fake. Are you ready to play? True or false, people use only 10% of their brains. False. The notion that people only use a fraction of their brain's potential is a common misconception and inaccurate. The brain is a highly complex organ and most, if not all of it, is actively engaged in various functions at different times, as demonstrated with neuroimaging technology. In reality, our brains are continuously active, even during rest, playing a crucial role in various cognitive processes, emotion, sensory perception, and motor control. So you can rest assured that you are using much more than just 10% of your brain. Oh, another brain-related true or false. People are left-brained or right-brained. You guessed it, false. The myth of left-brain analytical and right-brain creative individuals is debunked by scientific research, which reveals that everyone utilizes both sides of their brain equally. While certain brain sections may become stronger based on an individual's lifestyle and habits, this adaptation occurs within specific areas rather than being a result of one half of the brain dominating the other. Okay, another true or false. If one person witnesses an accident, they're more likely to render aid. If multiple people witness an accident, the odds of someone stepping up to help lessen. True. This is called the bystander effect, and it emerges when the presence of others deters an individual from intervening in an emergency, a bullying situation, or during a crime. The more bystanders present, the less likely any of them are to provide assistance to someone in need. This phenomenon was popularized by social psychologist Bib Latine and John Darley after the wildly reported 1964 murder of Kitty Genovese in New York City, where numerous neighbors failed to intervene or call the police. Latine and Darley attributed the bystander effect to two key factors, diffusion of responsibility where increased bystanders reduce individual feelings of personal responsibility to act, and social influence wherein people observe others' behavior to determine their own actions. All right, and just for poops and giggles, here are a few headlines. Which ones are real and which ones are fake? World's first hot dog ATM opens in Malaysia. 
fake. Flood of caramel unleashed by a Brazilian sugar fire. Real. Polar bears scream when they poo. Fake. Artist sells invisible sculpture for more than 12,000 pounds. Real. Police in Germany rescue man chased by baby squirrel. Real. Were you able to separate fact from fiction? If you would like more current mental health facts, stay tuned to the Conscious Mental Health Podcast, where we help you to stay informed, educated, and inspired in your personal and professional development. Listeners of this podcast, who made it all the way to the end, may use a 15% off discount code on one of our continuing education courses. Or if you're not a mental health professional, you can check out our client corner for a meditation or movement class designed by our team of therapists. You can use the code CMH podcast. That's CMH, all capital podcast, CMH podcast for 15% off all of our courses and bundles. We love our listeners. We appreciate all your support and we love hearing from you. So we really hope that you get a lot out of our content. And just to show you our appreciation, we wanted to offer 15, you 15% off. So you can again, use the code CMH podcast. And you can find all of our information in our show notes. And that concludes our latest in mental health segment for the months of January and February 2024. Again, have any stories, research, or just questions you would like us to address on a future episode? Hit us up. We have plenty of ways to connect. <laughs>